Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Kelly, and this is a Court of Theories podcast, where we deep dive all things Akatar, Throne of Glass, and Crescent City. This podcast contains spoilers. Hey, so based on conditions entirely in our control, we screwed up this week's episode literally twice. The first time we recorded, after we finished, you know, recording at like midnight, we went to save our recording and it had only recorded the first 21 minutes. Then we decide to re-record the episode and we did so on Tuesday, the day after Christmas. And then when we went to edit the episode, it sounded like actual garbage. So we suck. We're sorry. Um, we're going to have another regular episode tomorrow, but I am, this is Olivia, by the way, I am here recording the chapter summary episodes from chapters 73 through 97 of House of Earth and Blood by myself because we wanted to make sure that this got out today so that we stay on track to read through both CC1 and 2 before the release of House of Flame and Shadow. So I'm sorry that I'm here by myself and you have to listen to me, but here we go. Chapter 73, we are at the summit. Hunt is at the summit. We find out that each territory in Midgard held their own summit every 10 years, attended by various leaders within their borders. Along with a representative of the Asteri and a few dignitaries, relevant to whatever issues would be discussed. This one was no different, save for the smaller scope. Though Valbara was far smaller than Pangera, Micah held four different summit meetings, each for a separate quadrant of his realm. This one, for the southeastern holdings, with Lunathian's leaders at its heart, was the first. The site, located at the heart of the Samathe Desert, a good five-hour drive from Crescent City, an hour for an angel at top flying speeds, or a mere half-hour by helicopter, had its own holding cells for dangerous veneer. Hunt has been the last five days there, marking them by the shift in his food, breakfast, lunch, dinner. At least Sandril and Pollux had not come to taunt him. At least he had that small reprieve. He barely listened to the hammer's attempts to bait him during the drive. He barely felt or heard anything at all. A set of black clothes had arrived with his breakfast tray. No weapons, but the uniform was clear enough. So was the message. He was to be displayed, a mockery of an imperial triumphus parade for Sandril to gloat about regaining ownership of him. Hunt was led toward a delegation of angels near the staircase. Members of Sandril's 45th Legion, her triari, Pollock stood in front of them, his commander status marked by his gold armor, his cobalt cape, his smirking face. As soon as I read that again, I thought, oh my god. If you go look at the cover of Kingdom of Ash, Aelin is quite literally wearing armor with a cobalt blue cape. Her other triari were nearly as bad as the hammer. Hunt would never forget any of them. The thin, pale-skinned, dark-haired female known as the harpy, the stone-faced, black-winged male known as the hellhound, and the haughty, cold-eyed angel named the hawk. But they ignored him, which he'd learned was better than to have their attention. No sign of the hind, the final member of the triari, though maybe her work as a spybreaker in Pangera was too valuable to the Asteri for Sandril to be allowed to drag her here. There were no sign of any humans at the summit, and certainly no one with mixed heritage either. Um, alluding to Bryce. Fury is also there. Why? Nobody knows. Who is Fury? No one knows. Hunt tried not to think of Bryce, of what had gone down in the lobby. Princess of the Fae, bastard princess was more like it, but she was still the only daughter of the Autumn King. Jessica Roga emerged first, clad in a 
thigh-length dress cut to her curvy body, ancient gold glittering at her ears and throat, a diaphanous night cape, midnight cape flowing behind her on a phantom wind. Even in towering high heels, she moved with the eerie smoothness of the house of flame and shadow. Maybe she'd been the one who told Bryce how to sell her soul to the ruler of the sleeping city. The blonde sorceress kept her gray eyes on the three flags hanging above the stairs as she moved on them. On the left, the flag of Valbara. On the right, the insignia of Lunathian with its crescent moon, bow and arrow. And in the center, the SPQM and its twin branches of stars, the flag of the Republic. Hunt then realizes that it's been Queen Hypaxia. She was the medwitch that had been helping them. Um, she's a young, brown-skinned female in flowing azure robes strode down the carpet, her braided black hair gleaming like spun night. Queen Hypaxia, she'd worn her mother's gold and red crown of cloudberries for barely three months, and though her face was unlined and beautiful, there was a wariness to her dark eyes that spoke volumes about her lingering grief. Rumor had it that Queen Hecuba had raised her deep in the boreal forest of the Helleruna Mountains, far from the corruption of the Republic. Hunt might have expected that such a person would shy from the gathered crowd and imperial splendor, or at least gape a little, but her chin remained high, her steps unfaltering, as if she had done this a dozen times. She was to be formally recognized as Queen of the Valbauran Witches when the summit officially began. Her final bit of pageantry before truly inheriting her throne, but Hunt got a look at her face as she neared. He knew her, the medwitch from the clinic. She acknowledged Hunt with a swift sidelong glance as she passed. Then the Autumn King arrives, wearing an onyx crown atop his red hair, the ancient stone like a piece of night, even in the light of morning, which sounds an awful lot like a night court crown. Rune was awfully princely in this place, his star sword at his side. And it says, quote, he could have very well been one of the first starborn with that coloring of his. Might have been one of the first through the Northern Rift, which is super interesting, especially considering that we know he looks just like Reese. So I love that this little detail that I completely skipped over my first time I read this. The angels arrived in by dropping from the skies. 49 angels in the Asterian Guard in full white and gold regalia marched into the lobby, spears in their gloved hands, and white wings shining. Each had been bred, hand-selected for this life of service. Only the whitest, purest of wings would do, not one speck of color on them. They'd been sent from Prangera as a reminder to them all, the governors included, that the ones who held their leashes still monitored everything. So when they get to the conference room, it is described as carnivorous, with rings of tables flowing down to a central floor and round table where the leaders would sit. The pit of hell. That's what it was. It was a wonder none of its princes stood there. The prime of the wolves, the autumn king, the two governors, the river queen's fair daughter, Queen Hypaxia, the, and Jessica all took seats at that central table. Their seconds, Sabine, Rune, Therian, an older-looking witch, all claimed spots in the ring of tables around them. No one else from the House of Flame and Shadow had come with Jessica, not even a vampire. The ranks fell into place beyond that, each ring of tables growing larger and larger, seven in total. The Asterian Guard lined the uppermost level, standing against the wall, two at each of the room's three exits. The seven levels of hell indeed. The Asteria appear at the summit via vid screen. Each Asteria holds the power of a sacred star and can level their planet to dust. Rune reveals he has telepathy so he can talk to Hunt in his mind. Rune has no idea that the witch that they had been working with was Hypaxia. Hunt makes a comment that Rune trusts him with his secret. So love that little moment between the two of them. The Asteria appear at the summit via vid screen link. Each Asteria holds the power of a sacred star and could level their planet to dust. Everyone in the room is bowing their eyes, but through lowered lashes, Hunt marks who else dared to lift their eyes from the gray carpet as the six Asteria surveyed them. Therian and Rune, Declan Emmett, and Queen Hypaxia. Rune reveals that he has telepathy. Hunt says, night trick. 
and Rune says that it's a gift from my mother's kin, one that I've kept secret. And you trust me with a secret, Hunt says. And Rune was silent. I need, I can't be seen talking to you. If you need anything, let me know. I'll do what I can for you. But essentially, they know that they are now allies, basically. They're speaking together, and Rune had no idea that the witch that they had been working with was actually Queen Hypaxia. Um, Regelius has his eyes on Hunt during the opening remarks. Hypaxia is officially anointed the queen of the Valbaran witches. And once the Asteri are off the screen, Micah begins the summit. Chapter 74. There's nothing that Bryce can do for Hunt. She's tried looking and found nothing that will get him out of his enslavement. She didn't believe his final words to her because she would have said something similar to him to ensure his safety. She had been sleeping in his room every night, had been putting one of his t-shirts on and crawling between his sheets that smelled like him and pretended that he was lying in the dark beside her. I'm not crying. You're crying. Um, an envelope from the committee listed as its return address had arrived at the gallery three days ago. She thought that it might have been a message from Hunt, but the white opal had fallen out. Isaiah had written a reserved note as if aware that every piece of mail was read. Naomi found this on the barge, thought you might want it back. Then he added as if on second thought, he's sorry. She slid the stone into her desk drawer. Bryce tells Lahaba that she's a really good friend and Lily tells her that they're going to get through this together. Chapter 75. Rune intercepts Hypaxia and wants to know why she didn't say anything, and she essentially says, you didn't ask. She tells Rune, my sources told me that evil was stirring in the city. I came to see for myself discreetly. It was why she'd been at the scene of the temple guard's murder, he realized, and there the night Athelar and Bryce had been attacked in the park. I also came to see what it was like to be ordinary before this. She waved a hand toward her crown. Do you know what my father expects of you? Of me? I have my suspicions, she said coolly, but I'm not considering such changes in my life right now. She gave him a nod before walking away, not with anyone, and that was it. His ass had been handed to him. Sandriel announces that Micah had been called away and that they should go on with the summit. The Murr come to the summit to argue against the building of the canal for transporting tanks as it will destroy their fishing industry. Hypaxia and Sandriel banter back and forth with Hypaxia not backing down. The mare male gave her a slight, secret smile, gratitude, and acknowledgement. The witch queen nodded back, barely a dip of her chin. This is Therian, by the way. Just casually lifts his paper, flashing what looked like 20 rows of markings, counting something. Hypaxia's eyes widened, bright with reproach and disbelief, and Therian lowered the paper before anyone else noticed, added another slash to it. A flush crept over the witch queen's cheeks. What in the world are they tallying? I don't know. Chapter 76. Bryce had been staying at the gallery so she could look through the library. She's applied for tons of jobs. She took the last Arkesian amulet left in the gallery, the last one of five. Micah shows up at the gallery and goes down to the library. He got through all of the wards. Lahaba and all of the animals in the library cower. He took in the books but told Bryce that he actually came to see her. Jessica Roga gets a message on her phone at the summit from Bryce. She has Declan link her feed to the gallery to the screen so they can watch it. Bryce messages again, asking for help. The only word she said. Rune orders Flynn to send an ox unit to be sent to the gallery immediately. Hunt sees that there are law books on the table. Micah says that a ton of the books in the gallery could get her executed. Banned titles that disprove the superiority of the Vanir and Asteri from people that it is claimed existed before the Asteri arrived. Humans died for these books, Micah purred, motioning to the shelves towering around them. Banned titles, if I'm not mistaken, many of them to only exist in the Asteri archives. Evolution, mathematics, theories to disprove the superiority of the Vanir and Asteri, some from philosophers people claimed existed before the Asteri arrived. A soft, awful laugh. Liars and heretics who admitted they were wrong when the Asteri tortured them for the truth. They were burned alive with the her heretical works used as kindling, and yet here they survive, 
all the knowledge of the ancient world, of a world before Asteri, and theories of a world in which the Vanir are not your masters. Micah reveals that the library she's in is the great library of Parthos, maybe the House of Wind, um, says that the Arcesian amulet around her neck is what the priestess of Parthos would have worn. Micah says that during the first wars, it was Parthos that a human army made its last stand against the Vanir. They did it to buy the priestess's time to grab the most vital volumes and escape. Did you know that during the first wars, when the Asteri gave the order, it was a Parthos that a doomed human army made its final stand against the Vanir to save proof of what they were before the rifts opened to save the books. A hundred thousand humans marched that day, knowing they would die and lose the war. Micah's smile grew all to buy the priestess's time to grab the most vital volumes. They loaded them onto ships and vanished. I'm curious to learn how they landed with Jessica Roga. Micah then tells her to sit so they can be civilized about it when she gives him Luna's horn. So essentially, Micah knows that Bryce has figured out what Danica did with the horn a few days ago, around the same time that he did. He saw the footage from the Comedium lobby when Sandriel destroyed the Arcesian amulet. That's when he realized and believes that she did too. Danica knew she wouldn't leave this job and would always wear the amulet. And once it was destroyed, that was when the Crystallos attacked her. He says that Danica didn't give Bryce the horn. She made her the horn. She had it ground into a fine powder, mixed with witch ink, and then tattooed it onto her back. The language is beyond that of this world. It is the language of universes, and it spells out a direct command to activate the horn through a blast of raw power upon the tattoo itself, just as it once did for the Starborn Prince. You may not possess his gifts like your brother, but I believe your bloodline and the synth shall compensate for it when I use my power upon you. To fill the tattoo, to fill you with power is, in essence, to blow the horn. The tattoo is the language of universes and spells out a direct command to activate the horn through a blast of raw power through the tattoo itself. Micah admits that he killed Danica and the pack. Bryce asks him why, and he says he is an investor in Redner Industries and has access to all of his experiments. Danica tracked down the people Redner wanted her to find, including Ophian rebels who experimented with a formula for synthetic magic. They all watch on the screen as Micah attacks Bryce while telling her his whole plot. Micah dumped the synth onto the streets, not Danica. He knew that Danica would try to get it off the streets, and he pretended to catch her, told her people wouldn't believe she was trying to get the drug off the streets, told her he'd forget about it if she did him a favor, steal the horn. But Danica figured out why he wanted it and hid it from him. Micah wants the horn so he can open a portal and summon an army to decimate the human rebels. He went to Danica's apartment that night, disabled the pack with his powers, and then injected Danica with synth, watched as she ripped them apart, and then herself. Spent two years hunting for the horn before realizing Bryce was the key to finding it, that the power of her love will bring the horn to him. He summoned the Crystallos to nudge them along, and he injected Tertian, the Acolyte, and the Guard with synth to rip themselves apart to prompt them. And he planted the bomb at the club to raise suspicions that humans were behind it. Bryce leads him with questions to make sure that they get a full confession from him. Micah injects her with the synth to fix the horn and be able to use it through her. There are other ways to get you to yield, Micah said. Bryce attempts to fight back as Micah grabs Syrinx and throws him into the Nox tank. Chapter 78. Bryce knows Syrinx can't swim. Micah blasts Bryce back to power to use the horn, but nothing seems to happen. Bryce uses one of the books to send a blast of power at Micah, sending him flying back into the bathroom in the library. Lahaba uses another book to blast the door shut, locking them inside. Bryce grabs the, a knife and jumps in the tank after Syrinx. Flynn murmurs that this is Bryce's ordeal. Chapter 79. She gets Syrinx out just as the knock grabs her and pulls her down. Bryce manages to escape but refuses to leave until she gets Syrinx breathing again. Micah is almost out but Bryce won't leave Syrinx behind. Lahaba wants to help her escape. Bryce tells her that she is free. 
Bryce tells Lahaba that she traded with Jessica for her freedom the week before. Lahaba says she knew. She saw the papers in her drawer. Bryce tells her that she does not have to do this. She is free. Lahaba replies, then let the world know that my first act of freedom was to help my friends. This is when I start bawling my eyes out. Lahaba summons her powers, burning brighter and brighter, and she unleashes her powers as Micah breaks through the door, aiming them at the tank to release gallons of water. As she does this, she says, my friends are with me and I am not afraid. Very Throne of Glass vibes. But as she releases that water, it kills her. Chapter 80. Bryce runs to Jessica's office and assembles the Godslayer rifle. She put it together without even looking at it, as Randall would have taught her to do. She drinks something from the safe that no one that's watching the feed can tell what it is. She uses those precious seconds that Lahaba gave her to make this shot, and Micah busts through the door, where she then shoots Micah in the head. Chapter 81. Bryce has Danica's sword. She kept it in the gallery this whole time. She uses it to slice Micah's head into and down through his body. Hypaxia notices that the antidote is working and that she had figured out how to stabilize the venom and sent it over to Bryce. Bryce then douses Micah's body in gasoline and sets it on fire so that he can't heal and come back to avenge all of the friends that he destroyed. She is vengeance incarnate, wrath's bruised heart. She would bow for no one. Is this queen foreshadowing? As the ox finally arrives, Bryce slams the door shut. Then she pulls out the vacuum and vacuums up his ashes. We love to see it. Chapter 82. Bryce told the ox that it was a gas explosion. She went up to check on Searings. Jessica actually checked in on Bryce and told her that everyone at the summit saw what happened. All the books had been protected by spells, but Bryce notes the quiet and that Lahaba is gone. With all the synth cleansed from her system, she throws up until there's nothing left. She waited for anyone to show up to punish her for what she had done and opened the door to the outside only to hear screaming and realize why no one was coming for her. At the summit, Rune and Hunt worried as they knew Bryce would be killed for what she did to Micah. They believed that his experiment had failed. Hypaxia unlocked Hunt's shackles, stating they had bigger issues at hand, and that's when they realized that Micah's experiment with the horn didn't fail at all. Chapter 83. Micah opened a portal through the mouth of the heart gate, not a portal to an unknown world, but unleashing creatures from hell. Winged, scaled demons are soaring out of it. Bryce goes to her apartment to drop off searings, telling the doorman to go to safety, and then grab the sword along with Hunt's handguns and rifle along with ammo. She realizes that Micah opened a portal in every gate. All seven quartz arches are now a doorway to hell. A siren wailed, a warning cry, and an order. Bomb shelters opened their automatic foot-thick doors, sliding aside to let those in already gathered. Bryce calls June to get somewhere safe, and June says that she is somewhere safe, but that they are going to close the doors early to the shelter and not let any humans in. Everybody at the summit watches on the screens as the demons come out of the gates and swarm the city. No one will pull their forces from Fyro, who has shields and bunkers to keep them safe, claiming that they are, those are the protocols, which is total bullshit. Therian tries to get his people to shore or to carry willing citizens and whoever they could carry under. Isaiah said that the CBD is under siege. The 33rd are being slaughtered. Sabine talks to Ethan and tells him to hold his position. Hypaxia orders the witches to head to the city to help. Sabine says that they'll all be killed, but Hypaxia says she'd rather fight like Bryce than watch innocents die while she sits and does nothing. Bryce is running through the streets with Danica's sword and her guns, telling people to get into the shelters, firing and cutting down the demons as she goes. She's headed for Asphodel Meadows, where the humans are. The demons are described to have leathery wings. All her hours of trainings had bid for fighting the demons for this. Chapter 84. Micah planned ahead. He has had all of the witches' brooms destroyed, along with their armory, the helicopters, and the cars. 
He did it so that no one at the summit could go into the city to help, but Fury has a helicopter that apparently Micah didn't know about. Sabine had told the wolves and Moonwind to hold their position and Fyro, and Hunt told her to send the wolves to the old square, but she says they there are not wolves in the old square. But the Prime awakes from his quote-unquote sleep and points an ancient gnarled finger to the screen to the feeds, and he says, one wolf remains in the old square. Everyone looks at them to where he pointed, to whom he pointed to. But Bryce raced through the carnage, sword glinting with each swipe and duck and slash. Sabine choked. That's Danica's sword, you're sensing, father. But the Prime's age-worn eyes blinked unseeingly at the screen. His hand curled to his chest, a wolf he tapped to his heart. Still, Bryce fought onward toward the meadows. Still, she ran interference for anyone fleeing to the shelters buying them a path to safety a true wolf hunt asks for isaiah's phone and he calls the viper queen he reminds her that she owes him a favor jessica has bryce on the phone and has it run to the conference room at the summit sabine refuses to send anyone there to help but then ethan defies sabine's direct orders telling bryce that he and the other wolves are coming to where she is and they all end their calls with sabine the wolves could be in the meadows in three minutes a sprint to save the most defenseless among them the human children the jackals join them the coyotes the wild dogs and common dogs hyenas and dingoes the foxes it was who they were who they had always been defenders of those who could not protect themselves defenders of the small the young shift or true animal, that truth lay etched in the soul of every canine. Ethan Holstrom sprinted toward Asphodel Meadows with the weight of that history behind him, burning in his heart. He prayed he was not too late. So chapter 85, Bryce is working to protect the humans and she runs out of ammo. A demon jumps at her and she literally uses the gun itself and shoves it into the demon's jaws. They hit the ground together and the demon snaps the gun in two. The Viper Queen's fey bodyguards arrive to help her, first killing the demon who was attacking her. The fey male was described as having a massive sword at least four feet long, Born by a towering armored fey male, blue lights glowed along the blade. More glared along sleek black body armor and matching helmet. And across the male's chest, an emblem of a striking cobra glowed. Which, the first time I read this, whenever I saw the blue lights along the blade, I thought of uh, Azriel's siphons. And I was like, oh my god, Azriel's here. But regardless, they still sound fairly Illyrian. Um, Bryce became a distraction to the demons as a massive gray wolf. Ethan attacked from behind. Ethan ripped into a demon into with an explosion of teeth and claws so fast and brutal it momentarily stunned her. She'd forgotten how enormous he was in this form, how all the shifters were at least three times the size of normal animals, but Ethan had always been larger, exactly like his brother. Sandriel comes back into the conference room and essentially tells everyone at the summit that they are ordered to remain there, that the Asteri are sending help to the city. Bryce and Ethan still fight on the screen. The shelter gates automatically begin closing. Bryce helps Ethan as he's injured. The only space left for one person to squeeze through the door before it closes, and Bryce pushes Ethan into the shelter, leaving herself out in the city. For the first time, Bryce does not know what to do. Every part of Bryce shook as she took cover in the slight alcove before the shelter. The sunset, a vibrant wash of orange and ruby, like the final battle cry of the world before the oncoming night. Dusk court queen, baby. She is trying to head to the old square. Chapter 86. We watch as Bryce makes it to the old square, sits on the ground. They believe that she is giving up, that she's out of ideas, but she makes a phone call to Hunt. Rune tells Sandril to give him the phone, and Sandril actually does it. She lets Hunt answer. Hunt tries to tell Bryce to get to safety, but she tells him to tell her mom that she loves her and that she's sorry for all of her bullshit, to tell Randall that he was the only father that ever mattered, to tell Fury she's sorry she lied and that she would have told her the truth eventually, tells him to tell Juniper thank you for that night on the roof that she had stopped her from jumping so that she could be here to help today. She'd been so close to jumping that Juniper had called and stayed with her on the phone until she got there. 
She then tells him to tell Rune that she forgives him. She forgave him long ago, but she just didn't know how to tell him the truth and hid it because she loves him and didn't want to take anything away from him. He'll always be the better one of us. She tells Hunt she was waiting for him, points to her heart, and she forgives him for everything. Then she runs to the gate. Chapter 87, everyone in the conference room is watching as she approaches the gate and begins to glow. A faint white radiance begins to glow around her. What is that? Fury asks. It flickered, glowing brighter into the night, enough to illuminate her slender hands, cupping a sparkling, pulsing light before her chest. The light was coming from her chest. It had been pulled from inside of it. Oh, does she possess a star? Just like the seven Asteri possess stars? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. She pulls it from her chest like it had dwelled there all along. Her face goes really serene. Um, she, The light starts to glow so stark to the rest of the world with the grays and black. Slowly her eyes open, amber blazing like the first pure rays of dawn. A soft secret smile along her mouth. She lifted her eyes to the gate, looming above her. The light between her hands grew stronger. Rune falls to his knees in the conference center as he's watching this. I am Bryce Quinlan, she said to the gate, to the void, to all of hell behind it. Her voice was serene, wise, and laughing. Heir to the starborn fae. The ground slid out from under Hunt as the light between her hands, the star she'd drawn from her shattered heart, flared as bright as the sun. Then we get a little bit of a flashback to the day with Danica that she and Danica had gone to help those animals. And she tells Danica to close her eyes so that Bryce can blind the asp shifters with her light. She says, close your eyes, Danica. Trembling, Danica does obey. She squeezed them shut. The asp shifter clicked off the safety to his gun, not even looking at Bryce as debris floated toward the sky. Yeah, you better close your eyes, you. And then Bryce explodes. White blinding light ruptured from around her, unleashed from that secret place in her heart, right into the eyes of the asp shifter. He screamed, clawing at his face, blazing bright as the sun. Bryce moved. She then steals his gun from him, kills him with his own gun. Love to see it. But this is a secret, essentially, that she's been keeping from everyone, from her biological father, from the Asteri, from Midgard, from Rune, the pure light of a star from another world from long ago, the gift of the ancient Fae reborn again, light, but nothing more than that, not an Asteri who possessed brute power of the stars, just light. It meant nothing to her, but the starborn gifts, the title, they had always meant something to Rune. And she essentially says that when she first met Rune, she knew that she could never tell him because after seeing how cruel the Autumn King was to Rune and that essentially Rune being starborn was the only thing that kept him in his father's good graces. And she would never, ever take that from him. Whenever Bryce is done killing the Aspishifters, essentially, um, she tells Danica that she can open her eyes again. And she basically braces herself to have terrified Danica the way that her mother warned her about. She, Ember had told her, you know, People would be terrified of the light that you bear. But Danica is said to only have wonder and love on her face. Um, Bryce is standing before the gate now, holding the star she kept hidden within her heart and letting that light build, flowing out of her chest, untethered and pure. Um, even with the void mere feet away, hell just a step beyond it, a strange sense of calm welded through her. She'd kept this light a secret for so long, had lived in such utter terror of anyone finding out that despite everything, relief filled her. She was sure that Rune would realize it was her these past few weeks, especially the way whenever he would talk about the starborn Fae, Prince Peleus and Queen Thea, she worried that her blatant disinterest had seemed suspicious to him. And she was also worried that he had noticed the star sword humming in her presence. She had to physically pull back to avoid the instinct to touch it whenever Rune had visited her in the gallery library. 
and it says her sword. It was her sword and runes. And with that light in her veins, with the star that slumbered inside her heart, the star sword had recognized her not as a royal worthy fay, but as kin, kin to those who had forged it so long ago, like called to like. Love that. And then she said, makes note that even the crystallis venom in her leg had not been enough to stifle the essence of her light. It had blocked access to it, but not what lay stamped in her blood. The moment the venom had come out of her leg as Hunt's lips had met hers that first time, she'd felt it awaken again, freed. And now there it was, the starlight building within her hands. She decides that it's a useless gift, but that it had helped her, couldn't help her beyond um, blinding people had, as she had done with her father's men who had come after her and her mother and Randall. Essentially the same thing that had happened to the Oracle when the seer peered into her future beheld only her blazing light as she'd done to those asp hole, smugs, asp hole smugglers. Only her father's unfaltering fey arrogance and snobbery had kept him from realizing it after her Oracle visit. He was incapable of imagining anyone but a pure fae being blessed by fate. Bryce says that she tried to open Rune's eyes to her father's true nature as often as she could, even if it made her father resent her further. But she would have kept this burning, shining secret inside of her until her dying day. But she realized she had to do this for her city, this world. The dregs of light flowed out of her chest, all of it now cupped between her palms. She'd never done it before, wholly removed the star itself. She'd only glowed and blinded, never summoned its burning core from inside her. Her knees wobbled and she gritted her teeth against the strain of holding the light in place. At least she'd spoken to Hunt one last time. She hadn't expected for him to be able to pick up. She had thought the phone would go straight to audio mail where she could say everything she'd ever wanted, the words she still hadn't said aloud to him. She didn't let herself think as she took the final step to the gate quartz archway. She was starborn. The horn lay within her, repaired, and now filled her with light. This had to work. The quartz of the gate was a conduit, a prism. She was able to take light and power and refract them. She closed her eyes, remembering the rainbows this gate had adorned on the last day of Danica's life. And when they'd come together, when they'd made their wishes, this had to work a final wish. Close, Bryce whispered, shaking, and she thrust her starlight into the gates. Chapter 88. Bryce does seal all of the portals and the gates, and the Autumn King calls Ember, angry that she lied about Bryce being starborn for all these years. Ember has a low, agonized laugh and says, Who do you think ended your goons all those years ago? Not me and Randall. They had her in their grasp by the neck, and they had us at gunpoint. Another laugh. She realized what they were going to do to me, to Randall, and she fucking blinded them. What blinds an oracle? Light. Light the way the Starborn had possessed it. Rune realized that Bryce knew there were multiple Starborn in the First War. Hunt tells him that she didn't tell him because she loves him and wanted him to keep his title. Because Bryce's powers were the real deal, unlike Rune's, Ember tells the Autumn King that no one else knew but her, Randall, and Bryce. Her test had showed no power because her gift is just starlight, nothing more. That it never meant anything to him, but they knew what it meant to the Fae. When Bryce was 13, she agreed to visit you, to meet you, to see if you could be trusted to know what she possessed and not be threatened by it. To see if he could handle that such a gift had gone to a half-human bastard and not Rune. Hunt saw no fear on the prince's face, though, no envy or doubt, only sorrow. But then she met your son. She told me that when she saw his pride and his chosen one's status, she realized she couldn't take it away from him. Not when she also saw that was the only value you placed in him, even if it meant she would be denied everything she was due, even if revealing herself would have meant she could lord it over you. She wouldn't do that to Rune because she loved him that much more than she hated you. Rune's face is said to crumple. Ember Nen spits at the Autumn King, and then you left her on the curb like garbage. She let out another broken laugh. I hope she finally returns the favor, you fucking asshole, and hangs up. The Autumn King then throws a fit, 
and launches a water pitcher across the room. Adis had known this the whole time and was just waiting. Sandriel then makes a phone call to the Asteri, telling them about Bryce, about her powers on the horn. Bryce is the only one that can wield the horn because she is that of the Starborn line. It is why Danica inked it on her. If Bryce uses the horn, she could open a portal into any world. And it's been there the whole time. The Asteri will kill her before she does it, as it threatens their authority. Then, this is real powerful here... A soft female hand landed atop Hunt's Queen Hypaxia. Her dark brown eyes glowed when he looked over in surprise. Her power was a song of warmth through him. It was a hammer to every wall that an obstacle placed on him, and he felt that power focus on the halo spell upon his brow. She'd asked him weeks ago what he would do if she removed it, whom he'd kill. His first target was in this room with them. His eyes darted towards Sandril, and Hypaxia's chin dipped as if in confirmation. Rune's growls that they can't kill her, that she's the only one who can seal the gates, and Sandriel points out that Bryce hasn't made the drop, and there was no way she had enough strength to close the rest of them. Hypaxia uses her magic to get rid of the halo on Hunt's brow, freeing him and his power. Chapter 89. Rune had been distracting Sandriel for Hypaxia to be able to remove Hunt's tattoo. Hunt uses his powers to kill Sandriel because she's a stupid bitch and didn't even bring her Tirari back to back her up. The cloud of debris cleared, lightning faded into dust-choked air. Her gamble had paid off. Blood spattered Hunt's face as his feathers fluttered on a phantom wind, and from his hand, gripped by the hair, dangled Sandriel's severed head. Her mouth was still open in a scream, smoke rippling from her lips. The skin of her neck so damaged, Rune knew Hunt had torn it off with his bare hands. Hunt slowly lifted the head before him as if he were one of the ancient heroes of the Reagan Sea, surveying a slain creature, a monster. He let the archangel's head drop. It thumped and lolled to the side, smoke still trickling from the mouth of the nostrils. He'd flayed her with his lightning from the inside out. The angels in the room all knelt on one knee bowed even a wide-eyed isaiah tiberian no one on the planet had that sort of power no one had seen it fully unleashed in centuries remember our theory about nesta being third this sounds awfully nesta-y we love a good decapitation nesta is queen of the decapitation also the autumn king is tripping that if hunt would kill him for how he's been treating bryce rune thought about bryce giving up everything for him as his chosen one status um, and he hated that she had let that put a wedge between them to protect his title. Um, it says that Rune felt a sick amount of satisfaction as the Autumn King grew pale. Hunt threw the Autumn King a feral grin. Love that. Um, everybody essentially saddles up to head to the city. The Autumn King and the Prime of the Wolves, the only city head presence, remain in the pit along with Sabine. Jessica and Hypaxia would have to keep them honest. Neither of the females so much as acknowledged the other, but no animosity sparked between them. But Hunt didn't care either way. They had one helicopter, which was Fury's, and it will take 30 minutes to get to the city. Hunt needs to use it as his wings have grown back but aren't strong enough for him to actually fly yet. It was not luxury transport. Hunt makes note that it's actually a military-grade helicopter. It's got two gunners on either door and a cache of assorted weapons and guns and duffels strapped to the floor. Who the fuck is Fury? Then Hunt was in the helicopter taking up the right gunner. Fury flicked switch after switch on the control panel. Hunt asked her, his voice hoarse, did you know about what happened on the roof with Bryce and Juniper? It had fucking gutted him to hear Bryce allude to it that she'd consider jumping. To hear that he'd come so close to losing her before he even knew her. Rune turned toward them, his agonized face confirming that he felt the same way, but Fury didn't stop her prep. Bryce was a ghost for a long while, Hunt. She pretended she wasn't, but she was. The helicopter finally pulled into the air. You brought her back to life. I love that. I love that line. 
Chapter 90, Bryce was still in the old square gate waiting for somebody to come, whether to help her or kill her. The light was keeping the demons away, at least until they stopped fearing the starlight itself. The Assyrian guard is sending Imperial tanks with brimstone missile launchers to blast the city to dust to deal with both the demons and Bryce. Brimstone missiles are pure magic. Bryce survives a missile blast, but her foot is trapped under rubble. Fury is trying to stop the Asteri. Also, how does she have this channel to be able to reach the Asteri? Who is she? Why does she have the balls to even tell the Asteri to back down? We don't know. Hunt jumps out of the helicopter to save Bryce from the missiles. He falls on her and throws himself over her to protect her from the blast. Oh, Athy, we love you. Chapter 91, Bryce survives but finds Hunt injured. His black is bloodied, burned mess. His legs are completely gone. Same for his right arm. A gaping hole through his body and no wings. She calls for help, but no one comes. The helicopter had crashed and they see that Bryce and Hunt are alive, but he is barely hanging on. Bryce touches the pad on the gate, speaks through it, and asks for anyone to come to the gate and touch the other side of the disc. The gate is a conduit of power and she just needs one person there as her anchor so she can make the drop. The first light she will generate by making the drop will spread to all the gates and it will light up everything, send the demons away, and heal everything it touches. She tells Hunt to hold on. Then she whispers three words into his ear with all she had left in her, the final truth. She hears Danica telling her to light it up from the pad and it is coming from the bone quarter. Chapter 92, Bryce makes the drop with Danica as her anchor. Sabine explains that the Underking had said that Danica had a small kernel of energy left that a bit of self remained, but a dead soul can't serve as an anchor. So Bryce is essentially making an untethered solo drop. Her powers were classified as low level, but the gate isn't. The plaque on the gate says that the power shall always belong to those who give their lives to the city. The plaque is actually a blessing. The powers of the gates, the power given over by every single person who touched it and handed it over a drop of magic. Bryce is now getting that power. Just like Pharaoh with the high lords, how she was given the power from each of the seven high lords to bring her back. Bryce is now getting all of the power that every single person who's ever made a wish on these gates has handed over. They all watch as Bryce makes the drop, going past level after level of power. She surpasses Rune's level, and they watch as her power heals the gates from the city, the damage done to it, and the portals close. Light shot up from the gates, seven bolts becoming one in the heart of the city above the old square gate, the highway of power of Bryce's will. The voids between Midgard and Hell began to shrink as if the light itself was abhorrent, as if that pure, unrestrained first light could heal the world. And it did. Buildings shattered by brimstone slid back into place, rubble gathered into walls and streets and fountains. Wounded people became whole again. Bryce slowed further. Declan ground his teeth. The voids within the gates became smaller and smaller. Demons rushed back to hell through the shrinking doorways. More and more of the city healed as the horns closed the gates the portals as bryce sealed the portals the horns power flowing through her amplified by the first light she was generating the voids between the worlds became slivers then nothing at all bryce's power is a decimal point above the autumn kings the king says that she won't be able to make the ascent and that she will actually die her heart flatlines her mortal body has died she has six minutes to make the search and the ascent and emerge an immortal chapter 93 danica is there to see her and bryce says that she's not going to make the ascent because it's just too hard without danica Danica tells her to fight and to stay, that the pack is all in the bone quarter together. Danica tells her that Hunt is still alive, that the first light Bryce generated healed him, 
He's healed Bryce, Danica said. You healed him with the first light. Bryce's breath shuddered out of her. She'd done all of this for that wild hope. She swallowed, looking at the ground that was not earth, but the very base of self, of the world. She whispered, I'm scared. Danica grabbed her hand again. That's the point of it, Bryce, of life. To live, to love, knowing that it might all vanish tomorrow. It makes everything that much more precious. She took Bryce's face in her hands and pressed their brows together. Bryce tells Danica that she loves her. Then the countdown clock, counting down to the end of her six minutes, stops at 0.003. Bryce is running for her ascent. Declan couldn't believe what he's saying, and the Autumn King actually falls to his knees. As Bryce rises, lifted on a surge of power, she clears the deepest levels. The Autumn King is like, it's not even possible. She's alone. But tears start streaming down Sabine's face as she whispers, no, she isn't. Regardless, fuck you, Sabine. How, the Autumn King asked, to no one in particular, how it was the ancient prime of the wolves who answered, his withered voice rising above the pinging of the graph, with the strength of the most powerful force in the world, the most powerful force in any realm. He pointed to the screen, what brings loyalty beyond death, undimming despite the years, what remains unwavering in the face of hopelessness? This bastard knows so much more than we know. Danica gave over her last piece of self that remained so that Bryce could make the ascent. Everyone watches on the monitors as Hunt gives Bryce chest compressions. As he does it, he says, <laughs> I heard what you said, what you waited to admit until I was almost dead, you fucking coward. Now come say it to my face. He's using his lightning power to jumpstart her heart. He's basically like a walking AED machine. Is it AED or IED? It's not an IUD. I know that. Sabine whispered a sentence to the room, to the Autumn King, to Declan's, and Declan's heart rose, hearing it. It was the answer to the Prime's ancient words. To the Autumn King's question of how, against every statistic blaring on Declan's computer, that they were witnessing Hunt Athlar fight like hell to keep Bryce Quinlan's heart beating. Through love, all is possible. Chapter 94. She was sea and sky and stone and blood and wings and earth and stars and darkness and light and bone and flame. Danica was gone. She'd given over what remained of her soul and her power to get Bryce off the runway for the initial rocketing ascent. Danica had whispered, I love you, before fading into nothing and sliding her hand from Bryce. Hunt keeps doing the chest compressions and shocking her with, a with his lightning to bring her back to life. Bryce is alive and sees Hunt and Hunt's tattoo is gone. She laid her palm over his thundering heart. Did you just call me a fucking coward? Hunt tipped his head to the stars and laughed. So what if I did? She angled her face closer to his. Too bad all the healing first light didn't turn you into a decent person. Where would the fun be in that, Quinlan? Her toes curled at the way he said her name. I suppose I'll have to. A door opened down the street, then another and another, and stumbling, weeping with relief or silent in shock, the people of Crescent City emerged. They gaped at what they beheld, at Bryson Hunt. She let go of him and rose. His power was a strange, vast well beneath her, belonging not only to her, but to all of them. She peered up at Hunt, who was now gazing at her as if he couldn't quite believe his eyes. She took his hand, interlaced her fingers, and together they stepped toward to greet the world. Chapter 95 Syrinx was sitting in her apartment's open front doorway, whining with worry as Bryce and Hunt stepped off the elevator. Bryce looks around the empty hallway and says, I left that door shut, earning a knowing chuckle from Hunt, but Syrinx was already sprinting for her. I'll explain his gifts later. Hunt emerged as Bryce herded an hysterical Syrinx into the apartment and knelt before the beast, flinging her arms around him. I know that we've said this before, but I feel like the fact that Syrinx can undo locks and just appear places is going to be a big deal at some point. Bryce makes note that Hunt's halo tattoo is gone, that his slave tattoo and his wrist remained, but Hunt tells Bryce that he killed Sandriel, and she tells him that he, she killed Micah. In her apartment, Bryce now has an eight-pointed star scar on her between her breasts, on her chest. Bryce and Hunt 
plan to finally get it in, but they're interrupted by her mom calling. Ember tells her that the Autumn King called to fill her in, that news broke of who her real father is, and that he's probably furious about the whole thing. She realizes that Ember doesn't know about her killing Micah. Hunt calls Isaiah from one of his burner phones, and Isaiah tells him that the Comedium is a madhouse, and he just realized that he's in charge. The Asterian Guard have already moved on from the city. Naomi is alive. Isaiah asks Hunt to head over and help them with the chaos. He tucks his shirt over his head and looks at his slave tattoo. Bryce was just saying goodbye to her mom whenever the phone beeped with another call. It was from an unknown number, which meant that it was probably Jessica. So Bryce promised Ember they'd talk tomorrow and switched over. Hey, a young male voice asked, is that how you greet all your callers, Bryce Quinlan? She knew that voice, knew the lanky teenage body it belonged to, a shell to house an ancient behemoth, to house an asteri. She'd seen and heard it on TV so many times she'd lost count. Hello, your brilliance, she whispered. Chapter 96. It's Regelius, the bright hand of the asteri, on the phone. The Asteri had freed Hunt for her as a show of their gratitude. They stamp a C over his SPQM. Is it a C? No, I don't know. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Regalia says, to show you how deep our gratitude goes, we would like to grant you a favor. She wondered if the brimstone had been a favor, too. But she said, that's not necessary. It is already done. We trust you will find it satisfactory. She knew Hunt could hear the voice on the line as he walked over, but he just held out his wrist, his tattooed wrist with a C stamped over the slave's mark. Freed. Yeah, so what does the C mean? I don't know. I'll have to figure that out. Then Regalia says he hopes it serves as a reminder to her and Hunt to stay in the city, to live together in peace and contentment, and to not use her power or the horn. Everyone involved has been notified of the sensitive issues and basically told not to utter a fucking word or they'd be off so fast. They apologized for the destruction in the city that Sandril had told them the city had been evacuated and they sent in their guard. Hunt slumped on the couch, rubbing his face. Live quietly and normally. Keep your mouth shut and never use the horn and we won't fucking kill you and everyone you love. Bryce sat on the rolled arm of the couch. Slay a few enemies. Gain twice as many in return. Fury, Rune, and Flynn come into the apartment to see them. You are one lucky idiot, Fury says laughing softly and one smart bitch. Bryce tells Rune that she meant everything she said on the phone, that she forgave him. She tells Rune that they are both starborn royalty. Bryce, his face grew grave. You really thought that I would care more about that starborn shit than you? You honestly think I care which one of us it is? It's both of us, she said. Those books you read said such things once happened. I don't give a shit, he said, smiling slightly. I don't care if I'm called Prince or Starborn or the Chosen One or any of that. He grabbed her hand. The only thing I want to be called right now is your brother. He added softly, if you'll have me. She winked even as her heart tightened unbearably. I'll think about it. Rune tells her that the Autumn King will want to meet with her now that he knows all of her power. And Bryce tells him that Hunt told her that he has telepathy. So essentially he's Daimati, but they don't know that term. Chapter 97. They're waiting to hear who the new governor will be of Valbara. Bryce reads through all of Danica's happy messages and then responds to Connor's message whenever he had texted her the night he died. Let me know when you're home safe. She sends him, I'm home, and sends that into the ether and deletes all of the message, feeling like she's finally set all of them free. She made to turn home, but a glimmer of light across the river caught her eye. For a heartbeat, just one, the dawn parted, the mists of the bone quarter, revealing a grassy shore, rolling serene hills beyond. Not a land of stone and gloom, but of light and green, and standing on that lovely shore, smiling her, a gift from the underking for saving the city. Tears rolled down her face as she beheld the near invisible figures all six of them the seventh gone forever having yielded her eternity but the tallest of them standing in the middle with his hand lifted in greeting bryce brought her hand to her mouth blowing a gentle kiss as swiftly as they parted the mist close hunt sends her a text that he's making breakfast bryce grins nearly splits her face as she hurries back to the apartment searing's launching into a full-out sprint as if he too knew what awaited them who awaited them there was an angel in her apartment, which meant it must be any goddamn day of the week, which is a callback to the very beginning of the book, which I 
love, which meant she had joy in her heart and her eyes set on the wide open road ahead. Now, here's the epilogue. I'm going to read it because it's pretty important. Epilogue. The white cat with eyes like blue opals sat on a bench in the Oracle's Park and licked his front paw. You know you're not a true cat, don't you? Jess Baroga clicked her tongue. You don't need to lick yourself. Adis, Prince of the Chasm, lifted his head. Who says I don't enjoy licking myself? Amusement tugged on Jespa's thin mouth as she shifted her stare to the quiet park, the towering cypresses still gleaming with dew. Why didn't you tell me about Bryce? He flexed his claws. I don't trust anyone, even you. I thought Thea's light was forever extinguished. So did I. I thought they'd made sure she and her power died on that last battlefield under Prince Peleus's blade. His eyes glowed with ancient rage, but Bryce Quinlan bears her light. You can tell the difference between Bryce's starlight and her brother's? I shall never forget that exact shine and hue of Thea's light. It is still a song in my blood. Jessica studied him for a long moment, then frowned. And Hunt Athalar? Adis fell silent as a petitioner stumbled past, hoping to beat the crowds that had filled the Oracle's Park and Luna's Temple since portals to his world had opened within the court's gates and the beasts of the pit had taken full advantage of it. Any who had managed to return were currently being punished by one of Adis's brothers. He would soon return to join them in it. Adis said at last, I think Athalar's father would have been proud. Sentimental of you, Adis shrugged, as best his feline body would allow. Feel free to disagree, of course, he said, leaping off the bench. You knew the male best. His whiskers twitched as he angled his head. What other library? It has already been moved. He knew better than to ask where she had hidden it, so he merely said, Good. Jessica didn't speak again until the fifth prince of hell had stalked a few feet away. Don't fuck us over this time, Adis. I do not plan to, he said, fading into the space between realms. Hell, a dark song beckoning him home. Not when things are about to get so interesting. So yeah, that's it. That is the end of House of Earth and Blood. Next week, we will start with House of Sky and Breath. We're going to start the first fourth of that. We will have four review episodes of that with the last one coming out right before the release of House of Flame and Shadow, which I think I'm in like denial because I can't even believe that it's actually happening and that it's actually here. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks for hanging in there with us for this weird week where stuff just didn't work out. Um, we're going to have a new episode out tomorrow. We'll have kind of double up this week so that you can get your content from us. We don't want you to miss out because we've got some really good shit to share. Um, follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at A Court of Theories. You can follow us on our personal pages, slide into our DMs, email us your theories at acourtoftheories at gmail.com. We hope that you have a very happy new year. Be safe, make good decisions. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. Just kidding. We're really lame and we probably wouldn't do any of the cool shit that you're going to do. But regardless, stay safe. Happy new year. Thanks so much. We love you. Okay, bye.